God's grace and peace to all of you dear people again this evening. Welcome to this service. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people studying God's Word. There once was an aspiring young evangelist who went to an older seasoned evangelist and asked him, how do you have a successful revival? And the answer that he got was not quite what he was expecting. That wise old evangelist said, Son, I want you to take your Bible and a piece of chalk, and I want you to go in that room and shut the door, and then I want you to stoop down, and I want you to draw a circle around you with that piece of chalk. And then don't leave that room until everything within that circle has been revived. That's how you have a successful revival. <laughs> that tells me that revival is a personal matter. That tells me that revival must begin with me. <laughs> revival must begin with you if in fact the Mabel congregation is to be revived. We need those showers of blessing upon us again tonight. We trust God will grant us that. If we but trust and obey. I greet you uh, this evening in the one who was broken. The one who was broken so that we could experience life. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to give his life a ransom for many. This evening we would like to think about the subject of spiritual brokenness. Spiritual brokenness. We live in a culture that despises broken things. We like our things to be new. We like our things to be, to be workable. We like our things to be nice. And we often view flaws as embarrassing or problematic. We don't like cracks. We don't like scars. We don't. And if something is broken, we're quick to consider replacing it. Maybe running to Walmart and getting a new one. Or replacing it in some way. But dear people, in the kingdom of God, there is nothing that is more beautiful than spiritual brokenness. Nothing more beautiful than spiritual brokenness. It is through broken people that God displays His mighty, amazing grace. Someone has said that we lack something in our churches today more than love. We lack dying. In other words, we lack spiritual brokenness. And the basis of spiritual brokenness is dying to self and choosing absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, God wants to get us to the place of total dependence upon Him plus nothing else. Simply total dependence upon Him. You know, our human tendency is to give God some. Or maybe we'll give God most. But it's very difficult for us to give God everything. It's our human nature to hold on to some of those dearest things in life and not release them. Maybe that has something to do with our perspective of God. Are we a little bit scared of God, of what God may do if we say, Lord, you can have it all? The Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And there is the expression of the greatest, the greatest example of brokenness there has ever been. The Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. He shed His very life blood for me. That is the Gospel. He came for me. I deserve to die because of my sin. I deserve judgment because of my sin. I deserve eternal separation from God because of my sin. But God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross and to take my sin upon Him. And in turn, He gives us His righteousness. Dear people, that is nothing but the mercy and grace of God. That is not only the basis of true brokenness. When we crucify ourselves. With Christ. I am crucified with Christ. When we participate in that crucifixion with Christ. And then in dying to self, we are raised through his resurrection to live. I say that is not only the basis of true brokenness, but that is also the foundation for true usefulness to God and His people. And so this evening, I would like to look at the usefulness of brokenness. The usefulness of brokenness. Now, we all understand this concept, at least in some ways. I think of horses. That term is often used relating to horses. Has that horse been broken? And we understand, for the most point, what that means. It, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how beautiful that horse is. It doesn't matter how much that horse cost its owner. It doesn't matter what line that horse came from. If that horse has not been broken, it's pretty much useless. In order for that horse to be useful, that horse has to learn who's boss. Think about our children. Our children are a dear gift from God, precious gift from God. But in order for a child to be a blessing 
to society, to their family, to the church, that child's will has to be broken. And the sooner that child learns to obey and to respect authority, the better off life will be for that child and for those around it. And sadly today, there are many men and women in the prisons around this country that had so much going for them. They are so skilled in certain areas of life, but because they were never completely broken, they and many others are reaping the devastating consequences, a lack of brokenness. Think about a farm setting. Some of you are farmers, you understand this well, but consider the importance of brokenness in a farm setting. You know, the soil, first of all, has to be broken in order to plant the seed. And then that seed has to be broken to produce the grain. And then the grain has to be broken to make bread. And then the bread has to be broken in order to eat it. There is this, this line of brokenness that is so essential in a farm setting. And I hope you understand and you see the thrust in each of these examples. That is, broken equals useful. Unbroken equals unuseful. And the bottom line of the message this evening is this. Spiritual usefulness without spiritual brokenness is a spiritual impossibility. Spiritual usefulness without spiritual brokenness is a spiritual impossibility. We would like to think that God can use us better the way we are. When we're healthy and strong and confident and a nice house and a great vehicle, a good paying job, everyone's healthy and strong. We would like to think that God can use us the best when life is pleasing us, when life is the way we like it to be. And yet, God would like to take us to a deeper place with him. God would like to mold us and make us more in His image. And He does that oftentimes through a process called brokenness. You know, brokenness is an ongoing, lifelong process. No one is ever fully broken, at least on, on this side of heaven. But as long as we're in these old bodies, there's going to always be areas and amounts of resistance that need to be surrendered, given to the Lord Jesus Christ, turned over to Him. But it's true that the more broken we are, the more God can and will use us. And so, brokenness and usefulness are directly proportional. The more broken we are, the more God will use us. The less broken we are, the less God can use us. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 12. And we'd like to look at what Jesus has to say about brokenness. And as we're turning there, you might be thinking, but I mean, is, is brokenness really that important? 
I mean, can't I just be a Christian and, and not and not be more broken? I mean, can I just come to Jesus Christ and, and be a believer and not be more broken? I mean, it, can't this just be a one and done type deal? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Or maybe you're thinking, isn't there an easier way? You see, when we think of brokenness, or maybe I should speak for myself. When I think of brokenness, honestly, it scares me a little bit. Because in my flesh, I'm a little bit scared to give God everything. I'm a little bit scared to say, God, you can have my wife. You can have my children. Why does that scare me? Because my flesh says, well, maybe God will decide that He needs to take her. Maybe God will take one of my children. Maybe God will create pain in my life. And I don't want to experience pain in my life. I don't like to think about that. And so then I, I tend to, to sort of live life with sort of a partially closed fist. Lord, you can have this. You can have this. But maybe, do you have to mess with this? You know, you probably all know of of some who have, who have lived a, a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. More than likely, all of you have a spiritual hero or maybe several spiritual heroes. Chances are they know a lot about pain. Chances are they've been through some very difficult experiences. Chances are they may have lost a spouse or a child or a very close relative. They know what that's about. They know what it's all about. And if you would ask them about that, they would probably say, I never regret giving God everything. I never regret surrendering everything to God. I just regret that I didn't do it sooner in life. Yeah, I didn't do it sooner in life. What does Jesus have to say about brokenness? Let's start here at verse 23 of John chapter 12. Before we start in here, I just want to notice the context here of this passage. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and this is just several days before the cross. Okay? He had just come through the streets of Jerusalem in what we refer to as the triumphal entry. And so, the crowds and the disciples were thinking along the themes of, of pomp, and splendor, and victory. They were thinking along the lines of deliverance and freedom. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, we read that they were thinking that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. They were thinking about Jesus setting up a physical kingdom. But right on the heels of that, Jesus talks about brokenness. Now, what does that have to do with freedom? What does that have to do with victory? What does that have to do with deliverance? Dear people, it means everything. It has everything. Brokenness means everything when it comes to deliverance, freedom, victory. 
Because you cannot truly experience those in your life without surrendering in wholehearted brokenness. It is through brokenness that in fact we experience life. That we experience the greatest, richest blessings that God bestows upon mankind. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, we notice a number of of rich things in these short verses. And we can't cover it all, but I want to draw out several things here. First of all, we notice an illustration. That illustration is about a seed. Secondly, we have a challenge. And that challenge is for us. Thirdly, we have an example. And that example is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think here in verse 24 for a moment about this seed. Jesus was using an object lesson to teach the people something very important about a relationship with the Heavenly Father. You see, a seed has no real value unless it dies. You understand that. If you're a farmer, if you're a gardener, you understand that. And we spend a lot of money on seed. It's a step of faith in a sense, okay? But that seed has no real value until it dies. Oh yes, there's life inside that seed. There's an energy inside that seed. But that life, that energy cannot spring forth unless that hard outer shell of that seed has been cracked, crushed. Notice that word twice in verse 24. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Think about the challenge that Jesus gives to us in verses 25 and 26. And I like to put it this way. We have a choice to make. Will you choose to be comfortable or will you choose to be conformable? It's your choice. Will you choose to go through life being comfortable, or will you give yourself to Lord Jesus Christ? Will you choose to conform your life to the image of Jesus? That's all about surrender. That's about submission. That takes brokenness. But the choice is yours, dear people. You can go through life and you can shield yourself from those difficult things. 
You can say, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. No, I'd rather not do that. No, that makes me feel uncomfortable. No, I'm afraid this might happen. No, I'm scared about this. And you can build your own little world that sort of pampers you, that, that protects you. You can live inside a box, as it were, sheltering yourself from the things that look big and overwhelming and painful, perhaps, to you. There's a sense where you have control over some of that. But dear people, look what the Word says. <laughs> Along with that choice comes a lonely, selfish existence. Along with that choice comes this, this protective nature. Along with that choice, ultimately, it leads to death. There is not life. There is not vibrancy in that choice. But look at the choice of conforming your will to the will of the Father. And with that, it says that you'll never be alone, but you'll be with the Father. You'll experience the joy of fruitfulness. You'll enjoy the favor of the Father. And ultimately, you enjoy life. You enjoy richness. There's vibrancy there. Why? Because you are doing what the Master designed for you to do. Your life is then bringing glory to Him. And there is joy, there is peace, there's life in that. Let's look here at the example of Jesus in verses 27 and 28. Now here as we read it in the King James Version, I just want you to note the punctuation. Because as it reads here, the lack of punctuation obscures the thrust a bit. So in verse 27 we read, Jesus is speaking, Now is my soul troubled! And you understand what he is saying. You understand the context. This is just several days before the cross. And he's saying, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I shall say? He says, no, absolutely not. I could never say that because that is why I came. I came to the earth for this very hour. I came on a mission from the Father to bring redemption to all mankind. Instead, I will say, Father, glorify thy name. And that is the example of surrender. I will not say, Father, save me from this hour, but I will say, Father, your will be done. Glorify Thy name. Jesus followed through. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Oh yes, He had a choice. The Scripture says He could have called 10,000 angels and got Him out of there. He could have done that. He could have swerved the cross. But He knew what the cross meant. He knew what following through, first of all, meant for Himself. Who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well done, Son. You have fulfilled my desire for you. Can you imagine the relationship of the Father and the Son? In fact, after Jesus said, Father, glorify Thy name, there was that voice from heaven that He heard saying, I have glorified it. will glorify it again. There was that relationship. Can you imagine the richness of Him following through with the cross experience and ascending back to the Father and that embrace, as it were, 
knowing the joy of following through. But even more than that, perhaps, Jesus knew what the cross would mean for you, for me, for all mankind. He knew what following through would mean. It would mean the redemption of mankind. It would mean a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that opens the door for that. And so Jesus is the example of following through. His focus was on the other side of the cross. His focus was on what would be gained, not what would be lost. And that challenges me. Because too often, in those moments, I think of all the things that I'm going to have to give up. I think of what I'm going to have to die to. I think of the hardship of it all. Dear people, can we get our focus on the other side? You see, God sees the storm from the other side. He has that perspective. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. We are so limited in our vision. And yet, can we trust Him? Can we trust Him? Is God good? You understand there is a spiritual truth here that Jesus was pointing out. I, I referred to that earlier. But, you know, a believer in many ways is just like a kernel of seed, a kernel of corn. There's life there. And we believe that when we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, we believe that the Holy Spirit at that moment does move in. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. There's life there. We believe that. But unless that hard outer shell of our old man is crushed, is broken, unless it dies, that life cannot flow out freely and impact our world and relationships for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be broken in order for God to truly use us for His glory. We'd like to notice four points here on the usefulness of brokenness. So we're thinking, but how is brokenness useful? In what ways does brokenness produce usefulness in my life? First of all, brokenness engages us intimately with God. Brokenness engages us intimately with God. One of the most beautiful results of brokenness is a new and deeper intimacy with the Heavenly Father. And this is something that I cannot fully describe to you, dear people. You simply have to experience it for yourself. You know, there's things in life like that. I can tell you what a sunset looks like, and I can tell you what I see. I can tell you the colors. I can try to describe it to you. I can tell you how it feels to walk on the seashore with the sand pressing between your toes and the mist on your face and, and the, the, the roar of the surf coming in and, and the freedom and the vitality that that produces in our spirits. I can tell you, but until you really experience it for yourself, you will never know truly what it's like. And our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is a lot like that. 
there's something about brokenness that connects us in a new and deeper way with the Father. You see, broken believers know the Father in a way that others just don't. You see, why is that? It's because that God doesn't just sell Himself out cheaply, but God reserves His secrets. God reserves His innermost being to the sincere seeker, to the one that seeks Him with all their heart. God doesn't just simply spill His glory out to anyone. And in fact, the psalmist wrote about that. Psalm 25, 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Did you ever think about that? That God has a secret that He wants to tell you? But He's waiting on you? It says the secret is He will show them His covenant. He will show them His covenant. I have to think of Job. You know, in the first chapter of Job, that story starts by talking about the righteous man that Job was. The story says that he was perfect. He was upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. And I say, wow, what a man. God must have loved this man. I would just like to be the man in the beginning of the book of Job. That's who I'm trying to be. And yet we know what God did with Job. We know how God took him through the fire. How God allowed tremendous pain and suffering in his life. Unimaginable to us. And what just stirs my heart is to then read what Job said in the last part of the book. And in in the 42nd chapter of Job, as he's reflecting back, he says, you know, what I used to have, my relationship that I had with God, it's just as if I had heard about God. But now I have seen Him with mine own eyes. Wow. That's a new and deeper intimacy with the Heavenly Father. And it only happens, dear people, through brokenness. What we had before that we thought was so great was really just hearing of God. But when we allow God to work in our lives, molding and shaping us more in His image, it brings us to a place where we see God in a completely new light. We see His holiness. We see His glory. We see His majesty. And then we see our undoneness. In these verses that I'm going to share, just several verses here, I want you to pay special attention to how God responds to broken people. Notice the intimate relationship that God has with broken people. Psalm 34, verse 17, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And that word contrite has the idea of being crushed, broken and crushed. 
Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. Do you understand what God is saying? Think about the majesty of God. Think about God being the great creator, the God who, who stands above the whole universe, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, the one who you can almost picture him propping up his feet on the earth. The earth is my footstool. It's just something I prop up on. Think about a God that big. Think about a God who has made all these things with his hands. But he doesn't stop there. He says, do you want to know what I really care about? Do you know what is truly the apple of my eye? It's not those things. It's this. This is the man I will look on. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God says, that's the person that I really care about. That's the person that I have in my heart. The one who is crushed, who is broken. The one who has a reverence for my word. Brokenness engages us intimately with God. Secondly, Brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. Brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. Every broken believer will testify that they have a new and a real power that they did not have before. In the areas where they used to struggle and struggle, in the areas where they used to, to struggle to find that consistent victory, they are now able, through the power of God, to live in victory, to claim consistent victory. There's a change there. And I say, what happened? What's different? Their self-life has finally been dealt with. A serious death blow has been dealt to their self-life. It's been broken, allowing, dear people, the Holy Spirit to move with more freedom, to work in their life with less resistance. And it is through that that they are taken to a much higher plane with the Lord Jesus Christ, to a deeper, more intimate place with Him. I say brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. And let me just tell you, dear people, that until you give God the keys to your life, until you bow in wholehearted surrender to Him, you will never know what that truly means. Your life will be a constant struggle. Your life will be a roller coaster ride at best. You know, David, the psalmist David, knew something about that. We read in Psalm 51, and the context there is his, his sin with Bathsheba, and also then getting Uriah murdered, and the cover-up of all of that. And David comes through that. And David confesses. He says, my sin is ever before me. I acknowledge that transgression. And then he says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, 
And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Then sinners shall be converted unto thee. Do you understand, dear people, what he's saying? He's saying, I am not truly effective for God and his kingdom until my sin has been dealt with. Until I've acknowledged that. Until I have surrendered in whole brokenness before God. When God has then accepted that, when God has restored me, then I have the power to serve God effectively. To make a difference in His kingdom. I'd like to give several examples of this. First of all, uh, one or two here from Scripture but then one from a little bit more modern day, still a few years ago, though. I think about Moses. Moses went through sort of three phases of life. The first 40 years of his life, he he was trying to be somebody. And then the next 40 years of his life, God took him to to the backside of the desert to show him that he was really nobody. And then the last 40 years of his life, God took that nobody and and made somebody out of him. You know? But it took those 40 years of living on the backside of the desert of God showing him that he really was a nobody and that God was everything. And through that time of living away from the limelight, God molded and shaped Moses into one of the greatest leaders in the history of this world. I think about Peter. We remember Peter for his boldness. We remember Peter for his promises, uh, for his good intentions. And this was just prior to Gethsemane, just prior to Jesus' trial. Peter said, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And then he goes on to say, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And we say, all right, Peter, you go. We remember Peter for being that bold, brash, outspoken type man. We all know the rest of the story. In the face of trial, Peter failed miserably and he denied Christ three times. Three times. Can you imagine the crow of the rooster? Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face when when he turned back and they met eyes? Can you imagine? And Peter was devastated. The Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And it appears that Peter was so devastated by that. He was so crushed by that experience that he abandoned the ministry altogether and he just went back to fishing. And yet God wasn't done with Peter. And in this I see the beautiful grace of God. God giving Peter what he did not deserve. After the resurrection, Jesus called Peter back to serve him. And he said, Peter, do you you really love me? Peter says, yeah, yeah, I like you, Lord. No, no, do you, do you really love me, Peter? He said, I've got work for you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. 
And as we move into the book of Acts, we see a brand new Peter. Now, he's still that bold Peter. He's still that outspoken Peter. He's still that passionate Peter. But he is no longer operating in Peter's power. He is now operating in the power of Jesus Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his bold preaching, the church is established and thousands are brought to Jesus Christ. Praise God. But it happened through brokenness. I think of Hudson Taylor a few years ago. Uh, we know Hudson Taylor is the great missionary to China, right? Yes, but before he could be that great missionary to China, God had to bring him through some very painful experiences. You know, Hudson Taylor, as just a youngster, he aspired to serve God and to do great things for God. He dreamed about going uh, and serving God in faraway places and perhaps even China. And so as a very young man, he headed over. He was just in his uh, low 20s. He headed to China. And he was there for six years. But while he was there, he became so ill that he returned back to England, an invalid. And at the age of 29, the doctor said, Hudson, you will never return to China again. And so for five long years, Hudson Taylor, he laid in a bed, wondering and waiting, crying out to God, pondering what life was all about, suffering. But it was through those years of sickness that God did a work in Hudson Taylor's life. And he developed Hudson Taylor into the man that we know today who went back to China and shook it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it happened through suffering. It happened through brokenness. You see, it's through brokenness that God empowers us to serve Him effectively. Thirdly then, brokenness enriches our relationships with others. Do you believe that? <laughs> brokenness enriches our relationships with others. You know, brokenness has this beautiful effect on our relationships, whether it's in our homes, uh, whether it's in our churches, whether it's in our businesses, our neighborhoods. Broken friends are the best kind of friends to have. And each of you would agree to that. That's the kind of friends you want to have. I just wonder what kind of friend are you? When, when people think about you, what do they think about? What kind of friend are you? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to share about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, 
that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. Now, I want you to notice that, dear people. Verses 10 and 11 are almost identical. Both of them start by talking about that we have this, we're bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, or we're delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. It, it's, it's about dying to self. Dying to self. It's about associating with Jesus Christ in, in the work of the cross, being crucified with Christ. But you notice how that reality then is poured into our relationships. Notice how it changes our relationships. In the last part of each verse, talks about the life of Jesus then being revealed. It is through us dying with Christ, being crucified with Christ, bearing in our body the death of Christ, that we then are able to display the life of Christ. That the life of Christ, the life of Jesus, might be made manifest or, or it might be seen. Implying that when there is not that death at work within us, when we have not been crucified with Christ, that those around us do not get a good display of life. And then he says, so then death worketh in us, but as death works in us, it produces life in you. And then he goes on to say in verse 15 that, that all of these things are for your sake. We're talking about our relationships and how that brokenness enriches our relationship with others. You see, sacrificial living brings life to others. When I get out of the way, you are blessed, okay? That's how it works. Or we could say it this way, that living relationships uh, work best through dead people. <laughs> the more dead I am to me, the more life I am to you. That's how it works. In his book on brokenness, Lon Solomon identifies five characteristics in broken believers that influence their relationships with others. I've been richly blessed by reading that book and studying the concepts there. And I'm just going to mention these characteristics to you. We're not going to discuss them. But as I mention these five characteristics of broken believers that enrich the lives of others, as I mention them, I want you to ponder if that is in your life. Or maybe later this evening you should ask your spouse or your parent or someone around you, do you see that in my life? Is that a part of me? He says that broken believers are approachable. Broken believers are teachable. Broken believers are sensitive. Broken believers are forgiving. And broken believers are turfless. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that they're willing to give up ground for the good of others. They don't demand their position. 
When it's a matter of difference of opinion or, or perspective or things like that, they're willing to give up. They're willing to give up ground for the good of the whole. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about compromising doctrine, things like that, but matters of preference, personal opinion. They're turfless. You know, there's something about brokenness that is attractive and as difficult and as, as painful as the experience is for us, yet we are drawn to people that are broken. It attracts us. And I mentioned that earlier about, say, like your, your spiritual heroes. Those who have been broken. Those who have experienced tremendous pain in life. Yet, there's something about them that we say, I want to be like them. But our flesh says, I don't want to do what it takes. <laughs> okay? I, 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 like, I like what I see, but we shy away from, from the process. We like the product, but we don't like the process, Right? We're attracted to brokenness. Why is that? Why are we attracted to broken people? What is it about brokenness that we find attractive? You see, through brokenness, the very nature and beauty of Jesus is seen in us. Brokenness creates an environment, an atmosphere uh, where people feel safe, where they feel loved where they feel cherished, where they're willing to, to pour their heart out to you. Simply put, brokenness reflects Jesus. It reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's attractive. Do people see that in your life? If so, you'll have a mission field. Yeah. God will have work for you you'll have opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people if they can see those characteristics in your life. Lastly then, brokenness enables us to minister to others. Brokenness enables us to minister to others. Experiencing and living through painful and difficult situations gives us the resources to help others. Have you ever considered that God may be allowing a very painful situation in your life for the sole purpose of preparing you to minister to others with a very similar need. Prepare you to minister to others who are hurting. Turn a couple pages back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look what we read here in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Do you see that, dear people? It's a beautiful circle of comfort. As God comforts us, we are then able and enabled, empowered to comfort those who are going through difficult experiences by the comfort that we are receiving from God. It's a beautiful, life-giving circle of comfort. We then become channels of comfort to those around us. 
But it happens through God placing pain in our life. And as we then experience the love of God in working through that, as we experience the comfort of God, we then become channels. We understand. We thank God. We have a heart of sympathy. And then we have something to share. Some of you know Claire Schnupp, or at least know the name Claire Schnupp. Uh, he's the founder of Northern Youth Programs and a long-time counselor. And he said this, Nothing bad can ever happen to us that God can't use to help others if our response is godly. That's it. <laughs> if our response is godly. You see, we can bring glory to God by telling others about the marvelous ways that God has delivered us. We can bring glory to Him by telling others how God has delivered us from those difficult experiences, from those painful things, from those things that looked impossible. In Psalm 107, we read this, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And I like how the New Living Translation words it. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others how He has redeemed you. You see, dear people, your story may very well be the key to victory for some dear brother or sister that is struggling. So don't keep it to yourself. Share it. Tell it. And we could go around the room this evening and share our stories of how God has blessed our lives, how God has delivered us, how God has met our need, how God has comforted us in times of pain and suffering. We all have a story to tell, but it's meant to be shared. Share it. And it is through that that others can also find healing. Then others can say, oh, so I'm, I'm not the only one? You mean... My situation isn't that unique? You mean you understand? I thought no one understood. Yeah. And in, in all of that, they're appointed to the Heavenly Father. I ask you, have you been asking God to take your pain away? That's a natural thing to do, isn't it? And our prayers, our prayers often say things like that. God, take the pain away. I confess that's part of my prayers at times too. We don't like to hurt. We don't like to suffer. We don't enjoy pain. But dear people, do you understand that it is often through our pain that we are prepared for our purpose? And that is of ministering to others. In a world that despises broken things. In a world that that looks down on broken things. I would just say tonight that there is nothing more beautiful and more powerful than a broken brotherhood. <laughs> a broken brotherhood. And we need that, dear people. We need that in our conference today. We need a broken brotherhood. We need that in our church today. We need that at Ebenezer. We need that at Mabel. We need a broken brotherhood. You see, it is through brokenness 
that God's greatest glory is displayed. And I don't know what all God has in store for us. I don't know what He has in store for our churches, for our conference. These are difficult days. And yet I am confident that God will help us through them as we are surrendered to Him, as each one of us individually take the challenge to go deeper with Him through a life of brokenness. And as we band together as a a body of broken believers, God will do amazing things. I'm confident of it. And I just call you to be a part of that band of broken believers and anxiously await what God will do among us. Let's pray.